Heavenly Father, as we enter into the time of uh, looking at your word, um, I pray that you will um, empower it, that you will use it in our lives. Um, as we've heard testimony this morning from Nick about how powerful it is, and how just in, in reading the words, how you make yourself alive to us. And so, God, I pray that as we look at it today, that you will do that, um, that you will make it uh, alive, um, that you'll show us how it relates to our lives. And uh, God, just thank you for all that you do for us in Christ's name. Amen. I found uh, Nick's testimony this morning to be very fitting uh, with uh, the sermon for today. Um, a part of kind of how we're going to start looking at this today, we're in Luke chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 25. You have Bibles and you want to follow along, you're welcome to. If you want to get one of the ones over there, you're welcome to do that too. Uh, but Luke chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 25 is where we'll be. And what we do here at Potter's House is we believe, um, like Nick said, that there's power in the Word of God. And so we work through the Bible. Um, and so that's, that's what we do for our preaching. It's not just, what do I feel like talking about today kind of thing. Um, but we systematically work through the Bible. And we're working through Luke right now. And uh, Luke is one of the what we call the Gospels um, that tells the story um, of Jesus. It uh, tells the story um, of his life, his, his death, and his resurrection. Um, it tells us about his teachings and those kind of things um, and the things he did and all of that. And so uh, today in Luke chapter 10, we're going to be looking at a place uh, where a man comes along and asks him a question. Um, and uh, these are the kinds of questions that we all have as mankind, as a human race. Um, we have questions like Nick was saying about where do we come from? Why are we here? What's our purpose? Um, what were, what, did this happen by chance? Is there a creator? If so, does he have a plan for me? Does he, does he, or is he just a creator that creates and then steps back and says, good luck? Or, you know, I mean, what, what kind of creator is that? What kind of God is that? Um, and so we all kind of have these questions ingrained in us. Um, as a human race, we've come up, come up with a whole um, profession um, specifically for asking and answering these questions. Um, the whole uh, area of uh, philosophy, um, I mean, you can, you can spend your life studying philosophy. Uh, you can get, you know, many, many years of schooling to certify yourself as a philosopher, and then uh, you can live off of philosophy somehow. I still don't know really how they do that, but uh, I think they just teach other people that want to learn uh, about philosophy, and they write books and that kind of thing. Um, one of the guys that uh, was really into this stuff was a guy named Descartes, um, and he sat around thinking for so long that he was questioning whether or not he even really existed. Um, and so that was the, where he was. He's like, you know, is any of this even real or not? Um, and he's, he's questioning that. Um, and his conclusion that he came to that he's famous for um, is, I think, therefore I am. And so because he was thinking, he figured out that he existed. I don't know why he didn't figure out that much earlier, like when he stubbed his toe or something like that, you know, like I must really exist if I can experience pain and that kind of thing. Um, but we have, we have these guys that they sit around just thinking about thinking and asking these questions and trying to find out the answers um, to these questions. And today, um, our passage starts with a guy who's one of these kind of thinkers. He's a guy that spent his whole life studying and thinking. Uh, in verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. 
And so he's a lawyer. I uh, found it very fitting that Nick was studying law uh, when he came to faith in, in Christ and uh, found the, the, the truth that he was looking for um, in the scriptures. Uh, but we should probably understand what kind of law this guy was studying, what he had spent his life studying. Um, this was in the Jewish culture. Uh, their law was based off of the Old Testament, so the first half of the Bible um, is considered the Old Testament. And uh, in the Old Testament, we see a lot of where uh, God explains how he created everything. Um, and then as since he's our creator, um, what is our response to that? How should we live? Um, and I don't know about you, but I think that if there is a designer, um, then maybe I should listen to him about how to use the thing he designed. Um, and so, uh, so that's where um, the Old Testament law comes in. God says, look, my creation has been messed up. You guys have sinned. You've gone against my will. You've gone against what I've told you to do and how I've told you to do it. But here is the best way to make it right. Here's the best way to live. Um, here's the best way uh, to make everything work together. And so this guy is a guy that has studied that inside and out. Um, he's spent his life studying that law, those rules. Um, he's trying to keep the rules. He's trying to check off the check boxes um, so that his creator will be pleased with him, um, so that he will um, be honored uh, by his creator. And yet he stands up here with the purpose of testing Jesus, um, of putting Jesus to the test. And I want to encourage you um, that if you are checking out Christianity, or maybe you haven't even thought about checking out Christianity until now, but Jesus is someone that you can put to the test because he stands up to the test every time. Just like Nick was saying, he can, you can work through studying what he says and reading about what he says, and he's able to handle that. And so if you have questions, ask them. If you're looking for answers, ask, because he can handle that. Um, but this guy is trying to disprove Jesus or stump him, and he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so this is another big question for us, right, as a mankind. What happens after we die? Um, there's, you know, countless religions around the world that have um, all tried to find solutions to this question. They've all tried to pose their own answers. Um, you know, do we get reincarnated and pop back up as something else based on how good or bad we are? Um, you know, like, do we come back as a cow? Do I come back as a flea? You know, like, like what is that? How does that work? Um, you know, all these other religions have come up with these different answers. But what we see in Scripture is that God says that there, after this life, there is eternal life. And that in that eternal life, we get to be with Him in His presence where there is no longer sin, where there is no longer the consequences of sin. There's not the pain. There's not the hardship. There's not all of that. All of that is gone. All of that is washed away. All of that is taken care of by Jesus. And so we don't have all of that anymore, but we get to be with him forever. And so that's what he's asking about when he asks about, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You notice he said do, because he, in his mind, it's about the rules. It's about the actions. It's about what you do and don't do. And Jesus, being Jesus, kind of knows everything. Um, he knows where this guy's coming from, and he uses a very good uh, teaching moment. And he says, and he said to him in verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind 
and your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus asks the guy, he's like, I don't know, you tell me. What do you think? You know the law. You've read the Bible. You've read the Old Testament. What do you think? How, how do you get made right with God? How do you inherit eternal life? And he says, he repeats what's referred to as the Shema. Um, in Jewish culture, it was known as the Shema. It's from uh, Deuteronomy. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Um, in another place, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave this answer. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus elsewhere had, had cited this as well as this is the most important thing out of the law. Um, this is the most important thing out of the Bible. If you, if you get this right, everything else is going to fall into place. And this lawyer even understood this. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So he's saying, hey, here's how you get eternal life. Be perfect. All right? That's all it takes. Just perfection. All right? Pretty simple. Uh, pretty straightforward. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your feelings, with all your soul, your personhood, with all your mind, every thought. Loving God with every thought and with all your strength. So implied in this is, and all the time. So that, that's, that's kind of what Jesus is saying is required of us to get this eternal life. And we look at this, and we look at our life, and we say, I don't do that. I don't love perfectly, right? The first thing is to love. Love God. Love God with all that you are. Love God with all that you are all of the time. That's what our Creator, the one who made us, wants of us. In 1 John 5, 3, it tells us that to love Him is to obey Him. So a lot of people really struggle with Christianity when they're, when they're wrestling with Christianity. They're like, well, is it a set of rules or is it all about love? And we, we put these two things against each other like they're enemies. But they're not. They're not at all. All of the, the rules or the laws in the Bible boil down to love God. And this is how. This is how you love God. By doing this. He showed us. He said, Here, here's how you love me. Here's how you love me with all that you are all the time. You don't do these things. That's not loving. You do do these things. That's loving. And anybody that, is, you know, parenthood's really on my mind right now, just having a second child. But anybody that's, that's a parent knows what this is like, right? You have to have some order in your home. You have to have, you know, it's, it's all about love. You love your kids in a way that can't be explained, right? Like, it's just, it's a different kind of thing. But that doesn't mean out of that love you just want them to run rampant and hurt themselves, Right? You have to set up boundaries. There has to be structure. There has to be some rules to protect them. And so are those rules made out of, you know, hatefulness or not wanting them to have fun? Like, I'm sure my three-year-old uh, would love to, you know, jump off our balcony or something until he fell, and then he would not anymore, right? And so we have to have rules. We have to have boundaries. And that's what God sets up for us when he tells us, hey, here are the rules. 
it's not that keeping the rules is the focus. The love is the focus. But he's saying, if you love me, if you fully love me, here's how to do it. Here's the boundaries. Here's the guardrails to keep us on track, to keep our relationship good with one another so that we don't work against each other. Because God is a perfect God. He's perfectly holy. He's perfectly righteous. In him, in him there is no fault whatsoever. And so a God that is that perfect cannot be a part of sin, cannot be a part of imperfection, because it would taint his perfection. And he can't do that. And that's why, as we talked about with the baptism this morning, that Jesus offered a way for us to be made right with God so that we could be forgiven, so that he could take our punishment, so that he could take what we deserve, what we owe, and he paid it for us so that we could be made right with God, so that we can be brought into that place of perfect love with God because Jesus is the only one who ever truly loved God with all of his being all of the time. And he did it perfectly. And he's shown us the way on how to do that. And so it's very ironic that this lawyer tries to stump Jesus, the only one who ever did it perfectly. Jesus standing right before him is the answer. He is the example to the question that the lawyer poses. Jesus is the only one who deserves to inherit eternal life, but yet he offers that to us based on what he did for us. And so after he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. Um, Remember the second part there. Um, So we can kind of justify ourselves maybe on the first one. It's like, you know, I, I probably love God pretty good, right? Like I love God pretty well most of the time, you know, more than that other guy. But then there's that second part, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that gets tricky. That, that can get convicting. I love myself pretty well, right? Um, I find that most people love themselves pretty well. Even people that really struggle with how they feel about themselves, I think it ultimately boils down to the fact that they love themselves and they wish that their life was better than it is. I'm not oversimplifying depression and all those kind of things. Like there's, Those are real things with a lot going on there. There's a lot, a lot of complexity to all of that. But in a nutshell, as a human race, we love ourselves. We want the best for ourselves. We want be- even better things for ourselves, right? We want ourselves to be taken care of. So do we love our neighbor in that way? Well, now that gets convicting, right? It's like, well, how good am I doing that? So I think the lawyer here is starting to get the picture that, hey, I personally haven't really done all this. So I am a lawyer, though, so let me look for a loophole um, so I can get a way out of this. And so in verse 29, he said, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? All right, so ah, if we can redefine the terms, then we'll be okay. This is like classic human mentality, right? Well, if I'm not measuring up to the standard, let's just change the definition of the standard. Let's just change the definition of what um, is required. And so he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, using another teaching method, tells a parable here. Parables are stories that Jesus would tell to make a point, um, to teach us a lesson. And Jesus replied to him, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers 
who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, as that was their currency, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So then Jesus turns back to the lawyer and says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. And so Jesus here tells us a story. The story is based in that context of the conversation. Remember the conversation. It's about love. It's about loving God and then loving our neighbor. Love God, love others. So how do we love others? Well, once again, we need to put ourselves in the mindset of the people that he's talking to here. These are Jewish people. The most religious people in their day would have been the priest, right? He was the symbol of their religion. Um, in fact, usually in most of what Jesus says, we don't even really see him like, say much about the priest. Um, he seems to have a lot of respect even for the, for the priest, even though the, the Pharisees are another story. Um, they were religious people that he had a lot to say to them because they were all about rules and not about love. And, uh, and so he would constantly correct them. But here the priest um, sees this guy that's hurt, and what does he do? He passes by on the other side of the road so as to not get involved, so as to not tie himself down with that lowly guy that's beat up and messed up over there. Well, then the Levites, the Levites were a group that helped the priest. Basically, they were the helpers for the priest. Anything the priest couldn't do, the Levites would step in to do. That was their whole job in their worship system, to be the assistants, um, to come alongside the priest to help. So in the story, along comes a Levite. Well, surely this is going to be the guy that helps. The priest was too busy, but Levite, he's there to help. What does he do? He follows the priest's example, goes on the other side of the road, and passes on by. Then along comes a Samaritan. We talked a few weeks ago, we, had, uh, we did a message on, on racism, and we even saw the racism that people in biblical times had, especially the Jews for the Samaritans. Um, the Samaritans were uh, considered half-breeds. Um, they were half-Jewish and half-integrated with other um, ancestry, um, and so they were really looked down on um, in this culture. They were very uh, despised. Uh, most Jews, uh, the area of Samaria, where the Samaritans lived, uh, would go out of their way to travel around that area so as to not have to interact with these horrible, lowly people. But Jesus chooses this person to be the example in the story, and I think he does that on purpose. I think there's a lot of point in that. Because the Samaritan's the one who comes and he shows the guy love. He shows love. He shows compassion. He shows mercy. See, it's easy to say that we love. But if we don't act on that, then it's worthless. It's void. And that's the point that Jesus is making in this story. Is that it's not about your religion. 
It's not about religion at all, right? And so if you think, you know, religion's about keeping rules and checklists and trying to please God, and Jesus says it's not about that. He's saying that by, by the bad people in the story are the two most religious people. It's like it's not about religion. He's also saying it's not about race. It's not about who you're, what family you're born into or your history or any of that kind of stuff. Because the Samaritan is the one that uses as the positive example. But what it is about is it about, it's about love and loving our neighbors. Loving our neighbors as ourself. If you're laying on the side of the road beaten up and robbed and unable to get help, what do you want to happen for you? You want somebody to pick you up, take care of you, mend your wounds. You've just been robbed, so you don't have anything to pay anybody for this. But yeah, this person comes along and he, he covers all the expenses. You see, in this story, there's different people. There's the robbers. They look at another person, and they say, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. Then there's the religious people, and they look at this beat-up person, and they say, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Then finally, there's the Samaritan who comes along, and he said, what's mine is yours, and we're going to share it. And that's how Christianity is supposed to be lived. That's how life is supposed to be lived. And I think we all can identify with that. I think we all long for that. And the reality is, there's only one person who ever truly did this fully. And that was Jesus. He's the only one who truly ever fully loved his neighbor as himself. We know that by the fact that he died for his neighbors. And we are those neighbors that he paid a punishment that he didn't owe out of love for his neighbor. It's because of that death that we can be made right with God, that we can be forgiven. And we know that payment was received by the fact that he raised from the dead, proving that he had all power and all authority, and that he is able to grant eternal life because he achieved it himself. And so when he makes promises to us, he's able to keep them. Scriptures tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's where salvation is found. That's where forgiveness is found, is in Jesus and what he has done for us. And he also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Telling us that the whole view that's very popular in the philosophy world today of, well, God's on top of a mountain and all the religions are just finding different pathways up that mountain to get to the same God. If that is true, then Christianity is false. Because Christianity is based on the sinlessness of Jesus. And Jesus said he was the only way up that mountain. If that is not a true statement, then Jesus lied. Therefore, Jesus is a sinner. And therefore, Jesus required his own death and he, he owed the price that he paid. But I hold that he is not a liar. He is not a sinner. And I believe what he said, and I believe he is the only way to get to God. And that is the good news, is that he is the way to get to God. He's offered us that.
And so I ask you, have you placed your faith in that? Do you believe that? Are you still questioning? Like Nick said, it's a journey for all of us. Everybody's a little different in their their path. Maybe you're not there yet, but I want to encourage you. Keep asking the questions. Look into this. Study it. Research it for yourself. See, is this true? And if it is, how does that change you? What impact does that have on your life? What it should do is it should show you how to love. It should show you how to love God and how to love others. Because that's what it's all about. An invitation into a loving relationship with God our Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today, and I thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, we praise you uh, for the work that you've done in Nick's life and the work that you've done in Emma's life. And God, we thank you so much uh, for them and for their testimonies this morning, uh, for them having uh, the courage to stand up before everyone and say, I am a follower of Christ. Lord, we praise you for that, and we give you glory and honor. Lord, we pray for anyone else here who needs to take that step. Maybe they already know you, but they haven't taken the step of letting everybody know yet. God, I pray that you will challenge them uh, to do so. And God, for anyone here who does not yet know you, Lord, I pray that as they continue in their life, that you will show them more of who you are. I pray that you will challenge them to, to look into these things for themselves, to examine, is this true or is it not? And God, I, I pray that you will show yourself to them and show, you, show that you are faithful and you are just. And God, we love you. And as we uh, just return praise to you this morning for the great things that you've done, we thank you for all that you do for us. In Christ's name, amen.